Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome along. My name is Dr Julia Hempenstall and I'm a Wessex GP and I also help with the Wessex LMC's GP Rolling Education Programme and I'm absolutely delighted today to be talking with a group from the Wessex Rapid Investigation Service. I'd like to introduce we've got Kelly Spiller and Kelly is the manager at the service. Hi Kelly. We've got Kate Nash with us, Dr. Kate Nash, who's a hepatologist at UHS and leads on the service. And we've also got Dr. Laura Watson. Hello, Laura. Laura is a GP with a specialist interest in cancer and works at the Rapid Investigation Service as well. And these guys are here today to tell us a little bit about this really innovative program that has been launched for us here in Wessex. They're going to give us a little bit of background, a little bit of um, information about the cases that they've been seeing, and also a, a conversation a little bit around how we can use their services. Um, so I'm going to start by passing over to Kelly. Kelly's going to start with her presentation. If you're happy to um, share your screen, Kelly, I'll hand over to you. Thank you, Julia. Okay, I'm just going to share my screen one second. Oh, it says host disabled participant screen sharing. Oh, here we go. I can just change that. Sorry. Two seconds. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Here we go. That's apologies for that, Kelly. That's my fault. It should no, be no, it's it's available fine. to you now. Okay, perfect. So um, this is an update around what we've been doing with the Rapid Investigation Service. So as Julia said, I'm Kelly Spiller and I'm the Programme Manager working at Wessex Cancer Alliance and my job has been to implement the programme and our service. Um, okay. So for contact for those who are not familiar with the programme, the Rapid Diagnostic Centre programme is an NHS England led and funded programme and forms part of the response to the national objectives of diagnosing cancer faster and earlier. The national programme has two central high level aims, which are the introduction of non-specific symptom referral routes for suspected cancer and the application of the seven rapid diagnostic centre principles. Um, these are around early identification of patients, including addressing health inequalities, timely referral, including using uh, referral criteria and filter function tests, broad assessment of symptoms and the use of appropriate triage, coordinated testing for patients, timely diagnosis of their symptoms, appropriate onward referral, which is a core principle of the services. So whether patients have cancer or a non-cancer diagnosis, we try and get them where they most need to be. Um, those are all underpinned by excellent patient coordination and support with a single point of contact provided for our patients. The Rapid Investigation Service is the Wessex response to the NHS England National Rapid Diagnostic Centre programme and it is hosted by University Hospital Southampton on behalf of the Wessex region. The national programme asks that alliances develop new non-specific symptoms referral routes and that we ensure that optimal pathways are implemented and that the programme is used to support earlier and faster diagnosis driving innovative ways of working. The Wessex model provides a single central virtual point of access for our patients and utilises digital connectivity to see patients and book tests and subsequently undertake any onward management required. 
There's been a lot of interest in the Wessex model and we've undertaken lots of share and learn sessions, information giving and support to other areas in regards to setting up of non-specific symptom services and more recently looking at breast and self-referral routes. The Rapid Investigation Service is now one year old and the service started with a soft launch on the 22nd of June 2020, reaching Wessex wide coverage by the end of January 2021. The live service is for patients with non-specific symptoms suspicious of cancer and is a new two-week weight referral route serving previously unmet need for our patients. This spans over 300 GP surgeries and six acute treating trusts. So our first year, we've seen 291 referrals accepted into our service um, with a fairly equal split from across Dorset and Hampshire with 43% of our patients coming from Dorset and 57% from Hampshire. We've seen 43% of our referrals from male patients and 57% from female patients with an average patient age of 66. Um, the service currently takes on average around 45 referrals a month, as well as working with GPs to redirect patients to other pathways where appropriate, where referrals don't quite meet service criteria or it's clinically not the right place for patients to be with us. This is part of the service commitment to try and get all our patients to the right place first time. In terms of diagnoses, um, so we've had 11 cancer diagnosed to date, um, so three lung, two urology, two sarcoma, one breast, one myeloma, one neuroendocrine and one um, cancer of unknown primary patient with an overall conversion rate of 4.2%. Um, as well as our, non -can um, our cancer patients, sorry, we've had 24 significant diagnoses of non-cancer patients, um, including um, patients diagnosed with sarcoidosis, IgG4, um, high-grade colon polyps and AAA. Alongside our service, we've been taking a robust approach to equality and inclusion um, with patient engagement and feedback. We undertook an equality and health inequalities analysis um, to identify groups which might be at risk of inequity with, with the use of a virtual service. As a result, targeted engagement has been undertaken with learning difficulty groups, mental health groups, and is planned for groups from within the deaf community. This has included seeking views about the service, how people like to access services, thoughts on digital models, and also inviting uh, people to participate in dry runs through the service for more detailed feedback. In addition to planned engagement, the service has also offered telephone interviews for the first patients referred to the service, and subsequently a more traditional survey access through a, a choice of formats. Overall feedback has been positive and the virtual service well received. However, we do recognise that COVID has been a huge contributor to the adoption, uptake and increased cultural acceptance um, around virtual formats. The feedback gained through patient engagement and feedback has and is being used to directly influence service improvement and change. You said we did feedback from the services published on the Cancer Matters website so that those who contributed can see the impact of their feedback. Um, significant points to note are that we have changed our service name from Rapid Diagnostic Service to Rapid Investigation Service um, due to patient feedback that the use of diagnostic is misleading for those patients who unfortunately do not leave the service of the diagnosis. We've also made improvements to our patient leaflet, to our welcome call, um, to um, make sure we include to, um, tailoring communication preferences for patients using the service and also to improve our discharge letter which is actually written to the patient rather than to their GP and making sure that it is understandable and useful as a document for our patients.
Now that the non-specific symptoms service has been fully rolled out and we're in the process of um, improvement with that service, we are moving on to launch an, a new pilot service, the breast self-referral pilot. This pilot has been designed as a proof of concept to test the different approaches in order to identify a solution for wider rollout across the region. The initial pilot will run with Hampshire hospitals as the receiving secondary care organisation and two primary care networks which have been signed up to the, um, to the pilot in the area. The, path, the breast pilot pathway has two main aims, one looking at breast lumps and the other at breast symptoms with a focus on pain. For the patients with lumps, the service will ensure patients where appropriate are seen in secondary care quicker without the need for a GP appointment. For patients presenting with pain symptoms, which don't meet existing NG12 guidance for referral, they will be provided with appropriate advice, reassurance and guidance for managing those symptoms and be given a safety netting follow-up appointment. The hope is that this will support patients to not represent with the same symptoms. So next steps for the programme are to launch the breast pilot, which we are launching on the 4th of August, um, following which we'll be considering other possible self-referral routes, such as for testicular lumps and postmenopausal bleeding. The service is also starting to explore additional referral routes for the non-specific symptom service, such as through uh, ED departments. There are also other pathways being considered which may benefit from the RIS infrastructure, such as TYA, lumps and bumps, prostate and dermatology. Alongside all of this, the work is soon to start around the application of the RDC principles to all pathways, which, were just, um, which I described at the start of uh, this presentation. Um, all all site-specific pathways need to be ensuring that those RDC principles are met for, for those pathways. Uh, we'll also be ensuring that we are aligning our programme with the Community Diagnostic Hub programme and making sure that any synergies or potential shared benefits are used there between our two programmes in terms of uh, how they may impact on cancer pathways. Thank you. Kelly, thank you so much for giving such a comprehensive overview of what is an amazing amount to have been achieved in the in the first 12 months of this service. It's lovely to see the evaluation and the quality improvement that underpins everything that you've done and really exciting to see what's next as well. So, so thank you. But I'd love to come across to Kate because you lead this service as clinical lead. And can you outline um, how the service is set up for those of us in primary care who, who don't really know what happens to the patient? Thank you. Um, yeah, so the patients referred in and the referral is absolute key. And um, we, anyone who's used the referral will know that we have a set of filter tests and things that we ask uh, to do. And I think sometimes they're thought of as being a bit of a bind, um, you know, this patient's got a particular symptom, but you've asked for all these other things. Um, but I can't emphasize how crucial it is and, and that we, we do turn the referrals back a lot if, you know, mostly if they don't have those. Because if the patient has a positive fit test or has something else, then it, it's very important that they go to the correct pathway first. So we are really a pathway of exclusion. You know, there, there is no other NG pathway available. So, so that's the first really important thing is that the filter tests do need to be completed um, for us to take them into our pathway. Once, so, so initially when the referral comes in, we have a team administrative team who look at all that um, and you know will pass it back 
it normally comes under our eyes at that point anyway, so that we can clinically make sure that, um, you know, it is appropriate to send this back. Um, it's not it's not just an admin decision. So, so we've put in that step to make sure that we are not going to overlook someone who's clearly got very terrible symptoms and, and we don't want them to be stuck a few more weeks waiting for a test. So there's some clinical oversight of that. But by and large, the filter tests are absolutely critical. So, so once we have accepted the referral, then the patient gets a welcome call to say you're in the service and um, that's from our patient navigator team. And they will then outline with the patient what they're going to expect going forward. An appointment will be booked for a clerking. This is a clinical clerking that is done on the telephone by and large, but as um, Kelly has mentioned, we have, you know, we are exploring all forms of um, ways of communicating with patients. And if there's, if there's a, a reason why telephone might not be appropriate, we, we will work around that, work through that. And we've worked, we've already um, used interpreters, you know, so we, we, we are thinking on our feet and we're exploring as we go forward. Um, but by and large, the consultation will be a clinical clerking on the telephone. And at the end of that, the, that that's generally done by the nurses and GPs um, and sometimes secondary care um, uh, doctors as well. We will then look at that in the context of all the referral information as well, um, taking it on board all the blood results um, to decide on the next test. Um, most of the time, it's a CT scan, because obviously a lot of the, the things have already been done in primary care. Um, but most of the time, it's a CT scan, but sometimes not. Sometimes there's something particular that we think you know, maybe may an MRI first or a bone scan or indeed sort of things like endoscopies. So we, you know, we do have a holistic look with the blood results, with the history and, and make a plan. And sometimes we don't investigate, actually. Patients have been referred with weight loss, it's stabilised. Um, you know, we, we have a, a discussion with the patient on sort of safety netting. But most people obviously do come in and, and get investigated. Um, we, the value of our service is that the, the hub team um, are all based together, but we can organize these scans across the whole of Wessex. So we can organize a scan in deepest, darkest Dorchester, Isle of Wight, North Hampshire. Um, and, and that's where I think the speed and, and things really comes into play. So as soon as we've decided we want to organize an investigation, then we do it there and then. Um, and our navigators are, are then monitoring it very carefully, finding out when the date is so that we've got it clocked. And we have a, an excellent system um, It's called um, that, that maps where everyone is in the waiting list. So we know who's waiting for a scan. It's been requested where it is. So, you know, the navigator team are absolutely brilliant. Um, there's no chance of a patient getting lost. They just move through different notches on our, our spreadsheet. Um, when the scan is done, the report is equally quickly retrieved. And then we have two MDT meetings a week where um, we have the nursing team, the administrative team, primary and secondary care. And for me as a secondary care physician, um, this is the, one of the bits I love. Um, you know, I think um, it's, it's very easy for secondary care to sit there and, and say what we would do. And then I can turn to the GP and say, is that reasonable to ask a GP? to do that and they'll say no we can't access that we get that we get that discussion on the spot um, you know having worked in medicine for a long time as you all have we know that there's this huge divide between primary and secondary care which we all hate you know it's a massive chasm and and this is a perfect opportunity for us to just discuss and say what's reasonable to do in the hospital what's reasonable to do in primary care so we, we always have both sides in the MDT so that we can make that plan 
Um, sometimes it involves a discussion with the patient's own GP, um, but by and large, we can organize most things ourselves. So if we have a significant finding, we will then move the patient forward to wherever they need to go. If it's a cancer, then it's a cancer MDT. And um, obviously the non-significant findings, we take those equally seriously and we refer on um, you know, to the appropriate um, department. Obviously the patient's key in this. So um, once we have um, done, done the investigation, we communicate back to the patient. Now, um, it, many of our tests are reassuring. You know, we have excluded a cancer. So we have a discussion with the patient, with safety net, with advice as appropriate, um, and, and often discharge the patient at that point. If we find a cancer, because we're a virtual service, the way we've delivered the news is on an attend anywhere video call. And I have to say, I was a little bit nervous about that before we started. Um, you know, I'm used to giving people cancer diagnosis. We bring them up to the clinic, we sit them in a room, we give them the face-to-face -face consultation because we feel that's the right way to do it. Um, but actually they then walk out in the car park on their own often, particularly in COVID, you know, the number of people that can come in, um, you know, usually you can get a single relative in, but often patients have come on their own. So my fears for delivering this on Attend Anywhere um, have com completely been blown away because what we've done there is we've given people significant diagnoses, but they've actually been sitting in their homes with their families around them. And they've gone out of their way to say, thank you so much. You know, it, it has been a completely different experience to what I expected. Um, and I actually favor it. You know, seeing the patient in their own home with their family with them, you think, okay, now we've put the phone down. They are in a much better place than sitting in a clinic. Um, and obviously we always say, you know, that the nurses follow up with another phone call a few hours later, and we're obviously always available if they then have their questions afterwards. Um, so that bit has, a, has been a real positive. And a, as Kelly said, I think COVID has opened our eyes to all of that way of working and, and also the populations, you know, the patients are accepting of that. Whereas, you know, two years ago, we may not have been. Um, and then at the end of all this, we write a discharge summary, uh, as Kelly said, to the patient. So it's in patient terms, but obviously to the GP as well, so that they, they know what's been said and done. And the very critical thing was making it clear what's going to happen next. So, you know, we have finished care. It is now with the GP. So, so there's no ambiguity about what's happening next. Um, so that's the summary, really. Hey, thank you. That's just given a really clear overview of, of the process, not only for us as the referral, but for the patient as well. Uh, and I think both you and Kelly have touched incredibly on, on the fact that medicine has got this ability to be remote now and you've developed a whole service that's remote. You're not physically necessarily going to touch your patient or be with your patient. And I wonder, is it challenging being a remote service? Yes, it definitely is. I mean, I, I've illustrated in, in the previous discussion some of the positives um, which have come about. But yes, there are some patients where you think, oh, you know, I, I just can't. It doesn't feel quite right and I can't quite get a handle on it. Um, we have to be reassured that one, one of the referral criteria is that the GP has physically examined them. So we have that reassurance um, that we know they've had a physical examination. Um, but, you know, there are there are always patients where you were slightly uncertain. Um, and I think one of the areas where our service is perhaps a little bit more tricky is the frail elderly patient um, where it is probably frailty. But until you've actually seen them, it's difficult to to know that. 
And sometimes we do have to sort of say back to the GP, you know, we haven't found anything, but you know, that you always feel a little bit that there's a caveat that you haven't yourself examined them. But as I say, knowing that they, you know, that that's why we've asked for a physical examination first. Um, it's important that someone does. So yes, you know, as with all these things, always pros and cons. I think one of the other significant pros is the speed that we can move with because of that. You know, if you have to wait for a physical appointment, it's always going to add a delay. Um, so, so we get around that. So pros and cons, um, I think overall it works better than we probably would have anticipated. And, and you've mentioned quite a large team that's around you. I just wonder if you could just sort of list them for us so we're aware um, who the actual team is. I, I love that you've talked about primary and secondary care coming together, but who sits in the team? Hmm. So um, I have three sessions um, as the clinical lead. So that's three consultant sessions. And then we have another secondary care consultant who's a urologist um, who has a session. And we have another um, colorectal surgeon who was actually here at the inception of the service. I, I didn't join till November. Um, so he's been with us throughout. Um, and we um, provide the secondary care to the MDT. Then we have two GPs um, who do a session plus um, sorry, two sessions, because they do a day each, um, and then some ad hoc extras as well, um, covering each other, but also, you know, if, there, if, there's, if there's more need or more meetings and things we need to do. We now have three nurses in the service. Um, so we have a lead nurse, and then we have two nurses who joined us in the, in the past six months. And one of those is going to lead on the breast pilot, um, and um, the other one's sort of leading on the non-specific and we're out to recruitment for further nursing because of the growing service. Um, and the, the nurses are working full-time in the service. Um, and you know, they do a lot of, of the referrals and the clerkings um, and then ping questions to us. So, you know, we, and we have a, a medic of the day model mm -hmm. so that they know who to go to. And also so that, you know, when you're working session or you have to be sure that we haven't all taken our holiday at the same time so so that we've got you know a nice model that we're always there to support them despite having a full-time other job or you know other posts to do and then in the admin team we ha we have a, a patient navigator um and a, an assistant with, with her and then of course our amazing management team kelly and carrie ann who um you know do a lot more of the high level um you know integration with the alliance board the data management and things um, but we're growing as well because of the, the number of referrals and the potential other pathways. Brilliant. Hey, thank you so much. I, I'd like to come to Laura now as, as someone who works in the services as, as a GP. And I think you've been working there for about six months now. What do you see as the benefits uh, for the service for primary care? For me as a GP out in the community, not working in the service, what are the benefits? Yeah, um, was it, it's a great question. I mean, I think with all of this, we shouldn't think like, is this a benefit for primary care? It's like, is this a benefit for our patients? Because we get so hung up on primary care and secondary care and this specialty or that one, but actually at the heart of it all, the whole point of it um, is the patients. Um, so it's great for our, our patients because it gives us as GPs somewhere where we can refer the patients who we're we're quite worried about. They've got some ongoing symptoms. They're not explained. We've done bloods. We've probably sent them maybe for an ultrasound or maybe at some point they've had an OGD or something, but they've still got the symptoms. They're still having whatever it is. And the, the things we really are focusing on is, is abdo pain, uh, weight loss, symptoms like night sweats, fatigue, or just sort of borderline, uh, or those symptoms sort of with some borderline bloods that we can't um, really explain. So for these patients, 
typically they've had a difficult time in the past, as we'll all know, we send them to one two week wait maybe and they get sent back. No, they don't have that. Right, what, what should I do next with this patient? So um, we're great for those, those type of patients. And of course, sometimes they don't have a malignancy, but we find another um, diagnosis. Um, so I think for, for those pathways, we're great. And for, so we're a place where GPs can send, um, can send those kind of patients. Um, yes, we often request the CTs and you could say, oh, maybe the GP should be able to request CTs. But you have to remember that the CTs actually come back with a whole load of findings. And as a GP, we're not really, I would say, me by myself with these CT scans, well-placed to decide what to do with those findings. So that's where the rapid investigation service is just fantastic because we've got a whole MDT um, to discuss the scans, um, uh, you know, with, with consultants and experts who are used to looking at them and then decide, you know, what next for the patient. So I think it's a great addition to all the services um, we have already, and it definitely fills a gap. That sounds like it yeah, really does fill a gap. And, and how do you find as a GP working in what's obviously a secondary care service, but has this lovely interface um, uh, feel to it? Yeah, I mean, for me, actually, it's been a complete eye opener. And actually, when you stand back and think about it, we should integrate more um, but in this kind of way between primary and secondary care, because despite all of our efforts, our healthcare system is still so disjointed and there is an artificial divide of the patient journey that stops at primary care versus secondary care. And we know that our, a lot of our patients are complex. They've got things going on in both places at once. Um, so um, it, it's, it's just fascinating to, to see how the communication works. Um, sometimes in our meetings, you know, we'll have a discussion about something we're not quite sure about the patient and what should we do? And then I'll say, well, maybe we should just phone the GP and, and have a chat with them. And everyone's like, oh, like, that's a possibility. Like, can we do that? It's like, well, yes, we, we can talk to someone there. But then actually, when you try and do that, you realize, you know, if you haven't got the bypass lines and reception or you wait a long time to get through. And then sometimes, the, sometimes it's lovely speaking to a GP, but sometimes even as a GP's speaking to a GP, it's quite scary. Um, and I think we're also sort of hassled and there is this artificial divide. Um, one of the things I've really found is, is the amount of information you have on the patient makes such a difference. So we use system one um, as our clinical system within the RIS. So if the GP surgery is on system one, we can see everything in the notes. So it matters less if the referral hasn't got everything in it. And some of our patients are so complicated that we can't include every single thing in the referral, but we can scan back through all of the GP notes. If the GP surgery is on Amos Webb, we can see very little. So we can sometimes see some documents through CHI, um, not always all of them. We can see everything on ICE, but we can't see the, the sort of day-to-day -day nuances. And it just makes you realize that actually, if we're gonna have more remote services working across different areas, different sites, then we need to, to work out how we can information share better on patients. And I think this is a really good example of that. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting working you know, between primary and secondary care. And I think we need to you know, do, probably do more of it actually. 
Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is it's a brilliant example of it. And actually, we need more of it. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful. I think in the interest of time, I'll go, um, I'll head back. And we've talked about patients being in the centre of this, Kate. Uh, uh, and we've heard from Kelly a little bit about how many of the cancers you've picked up and obviously how many of the significant diagnoses that aren't cancer as well. Um, but I just wonder if you could give an example of a patient that the RAS has made a big difference to, if you've got a sort of narrative that would help us. Hmm. So, you know, obviously all patients that we've diagnosed a cancer, you know, we'd feel that that's made a difference. Um, it's given them an answer. Um, it, you know, it's obviously not the answer they would have wanted, but it's given them an answer and got them on the right pathway as quick as possible. Um, at the moment, it's difficult to know whether we are speeding things up. Um, we're, you know, we're post-COVID where people have been sitting around with symptoms. You know, I don't think we could possibly know that at this stage, um, but we'll have to look at that going forward, whether we're getting people at an earlier stage. Um, you know, that, that's something to watch and see. For me, as a physician, I, I can't pretend, you know, my most interesting thing is finding the other things, actually. Um, and, you know, one of the ones was a patient with just fatigue, nonspecific symptoms, and we found a widespread, very serious vasculitis, large, large vessels. Um, and, you know, referred into rheumatology on steroids within a week, um, you know, that sort of diagnosis would have hung around for a long time because, it, you know, you couldn't pick it, pick it up on the bloods. You know, you, how would you find it? it? Was It was affecting the aorta, the big vessels, you know, so something like that. And then, you know, a quick turnaround of treatment. Um, we've picked up a sarcoidosis, again, another inflammatory disorder that can make patients, you know, can hang around for a long time, make patients feel very ill, but actually responds very quickly to steroids. Mm. Um, you know, the most complicated one was, of course, our first really significant abnormal finding. And it was a, a lady who spoke Polish only, was, um, you know, deepest, darkest daughter, uh, Dorset, and had bilateral lymphadenopathy on her CT scan. Um, I'm sure you'll be aware how difficult it is to sort of get um, a diagnosis in lumps and bumps. Um, so as the service, we were left to organize the biopsy um, because people don't in secondary care don't pick it up without histology. Everyone thought it was going to be lymphoma, but actually the biopsy came back with IgG4 disease and an SLE overlap. Um, and she was started on treatment. Um, you know, at, at, so initially, you know, I was thinking, gosh, how, how am I going to find someone to look after that in pool? You know, I, I live in Southampton and I emailed a few people in pool, didn't get any response. And I wandered down the corridor in Southampton and found the person I know would look after it in Southampton. And he said, oh, I do a clinic in Bournemouth. I look after them. So it's that sort of internal networking really paid you know, so we got that patient to a really complicated, difficult diagnosis. Um, and that's something that the team are all about. You know, we're like dogs with bones. Once we're on it, we don't let it drop. Um, and until we see the patient safely parked into a service, you know, we're on it. Um, and, you know, in, in, I, I've had quite a colourful career, but I've been the programme director for gastroenterology training um, for the last eight years. And that means I know people in every hospital. And that's, that's proved to be a huge asset because a lot of these, so gastroenterology, a lot of these patients have symptoms that might be gastro. So I sort of know people in, in all the hospitals and that has been an asset to, you know, even if I, it isn't gastro, but I know someone to ask and say, who's your rheumatologist? Who should I refer to? And, and that's, that's really helped. Um, so I think, I, you know, for me, 
the most interesting ones are, are the non-cancer diagnoses, um, you know, because those, those are the sort of MRCP, the clinical conundrums. Um, but we, you know, we picked up our, one of our first cancers was a renal cancer, and it was very non-specific symptoms, and that was picked up at a curable um, stage. They were in the MDT within a week, operated on, um, you know, so that. Yeah, and renal is another one that masquerades and hangs around for a long time. So, you know, that felt like a really good pickup. Thank you, Kate. I sort of, I think what I might do is sort of try and pull this together um, for everyone listening to sort of, uh, I think what you've presented is a really innovative, uh, an innovative remote programme that is of such value. And it adds value for our patients. It adds value for us as GPs and secondary care, that interface, all of the stuff, Laura, you've talked about. I'd just like to really thank you for coming along. We will put, for those GPs listening, we will put um, the presentation in the chat so you'll be able to see those later on and there will also be contact details if, if you need to get in touch with any of the services but for today I'd like to end it there just by saying thank you to Kelly, Kate and Laura um, for the amazing service and the amazing presentation so thank you very much guys. To the rest of you log on at any time to Wessex LMCs and look under events and learning to hear more about education opportunities for GPs but I'll end the meeting there thank you very much. Thank you.